0: This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand.
1: Hi, I'm Dr. Susan Buttress, host of Southern Remedies, Relatively Speaking. Join the conversation every Tuesday at 11 as we dissect issues that are important to you and your family. That's Relatively Speaking, Tuesdays only on MPB Think Radio.
0: From MPB Think Radio. This is Deep South Dining, the show all about the culture of Southern flavor and folks that love to stir the pot. Good morning. Malcolm White with Carol Palmer. Today we will be your host, and we are glad you have joined us. On the show today, we continue to talk about Thanksgiving and the Thanksgiving countdown with some holiday tips to keep the season as stress-free as possible. Also, we share a conversation with... From Dr. Susan Buttress, about dealing with anxiety that often comes with this time of year. And Carol, uh, we are, we have round the bend and are headed toward Thanksgiving.
2: I know, Mal, we're 17 days away.
0: Wow. It seems like it was only yesterday, <laughs> <this Halloween>. <laughs> <laughs> no. it was
2: Halloween. I It was indeed, and the Thanksgiving countdown is...
0: It is on.
2: Way underway, yes. and every year for the past 4 years or so you and I've looked at the Thanksgiving countdowns that are published by different organizations like the Food Network and their Thanksgiving countdown started 30 days before Thanksgiving.
0: Oh, well. And you know
2: what the first thing on the list was?
0: Um clean out your freezer.
2: Not yet. It was finalize the guest list. The very first thing well. is decide who want, who you want to have around your table and invite them. And, yeah. you know, so you're giving plenty of time to get the people that you want there. And also, it's the time to ask them to make something. Do not surprise them the last week. Uh-huh. If they have a wonderful oyster dressing, ask then.
0: Gotcha. So, are you anticipating a large Thanksgiving, a small gathering? What? What's
2: Thanksgiving at Go Away Lodge is usually around thirty people. That's large. Uh, lots, lots, of relatives. <laughs> thirty is large. Coming Carol. in, and many of them, twenty something of them, are actually staying on the property. So, it is a Thanksgiving experience, hmm. not just Thanksgiving Day. So, okay. I have to look at three meals a day from. Wednesday until Sunday morning.
0: It sounds like you're running a sort of an Airbnb out there. Yeah, there's,
2: there it are. is an Airbnb, <laughs> and there are also air mattresses involved.
0: Okay. I think we're going to keep it pretty small. I don't know exactly. We were talking about it yesterday. We're not exactly sure who all is coming. But I'll tell you this, though. I have always loved Thanksgiving uh, because of the food. It is the food holiday, without a doubt. I mean, Christmas is great. Don't get me wrong, uh, Sunday Sunday lunch is always terrific, but I've always loved the Thanksgiving emphasis on food, breaking bread with folks, uh, and giving thanks. You know, one time, I cooked the entire Craig Claiborne Thanksgiving meal.
2: I remember that.
0: Which was really something. Uh, some of the dishes I loved, some not so much, but... I just decided uh, – it's in one of his cookbooks. I yeah, don't, and I you're a who guy who
2: loves a theme.
0: Yeah, I just cooked the entire uh, meal.
2: But, you know, I think uh, most Americans feel the way you do about uh, Thanksgiving because it's a holiday that everyone can participate in. It doesn't matter uh, your yeah, religious preference. It mm. doesn't matter where you live. I mean, it, it's it's all in for everybody.
0: Right. Well, and, and, you know, with that theme in mind, uh, Kara baked uh, an apple cake uh, over the weekend. Uh, the grandkids, Wren uh, and Wilder, spent the weekend with us, and she got them in the kitchen, and uh, I sat back and watched the three of them uh, bake a cake, and it's, it's really cool. It's become a standard in our home, the apple cake. And, Carol brought you a big chunk this morning. Here Malcolm,
2: I am I am so grateful because Kara's, apple cake is a delight
0: well i'm glad that uh, we can share it's well, uh, i guess I you'd call it a bunt it. yes style. it's a bunt
2: cake and and i love it because she uses you know you can see the chunks the chunk o the, the apple chunk-o <laughs> apple the chunk of <laughs> apple uh so you know while kara was baking i was uh simmering and braising on the stove i made osabuco this
0: oh boy I do like that dish.
2: Never done it before. Uh, my husband John ordered uh, veal shank mm-hmm. from one of the, one of the catalogs that he so uh, frequently reads at night. That's that's what the man does. He reads coffee table books and and catalogs. But the veal shanks were really lovely. They were uh, they were large and I had to tie them around with string to kind of hold the mm. the meat onto the bone and. Slow braise them for several hours. But the thing that I wanted to tell you was what came after the osobuco. What's Were that? Two other dishes. And um, I made osabuco pasta with the leftovers. I mean, you don't want anything to go to waste. So I picked, you know, what, what uh-huh. we didn't eat because it was quite a lot of meat. And so the next night I shredded it and did it with a, a pasta. Um, and the next night, Osabuco stew. So
0: you had an Osabuco, the Osabuco weekend. Osabuco
2: <laughs> went to farm. Just, just not going to leave any veal shake behind.
0: Yeah. Well, you know, I think it was Elaine Trigiani who s- said that the osabuco is the sort of Italian equivalent of the roast beef meal that we make here. Am I right about that? You remember that yeah, conversation?
2: Yeah, and, and I really thought about that because I had always thought osabuco was something mysterious and mm-hmm. very difficult to make when, in fact, it's a lot like. It is like, like making a roast, and it gave me great confidence because John likes it so much that, it, you know, it's something we can regularly do.
0: Well, uh, last week we were uh, pleased to have our friend Tim Pierce join us, and we appreciate him always being here. So, uh, And it was great having dinner at one of your homes, your in-town home, and— uh,
2: you make having, it sound so special. It was <laughs> the house I had before I got married that I still have.
0: <laughs> well, it was really lovely.
2: My in-town pad.
0: It was great to have Tim and Brant and, uh, and to have a wonderful meal, I must say. I know we covered it last week, but it, I'm still thinking about it.
2: Yeah, still thinking about Enrica Williams. But the thing I started thinking about after Tim's visit, was thanksgiving dressing and we had a really robust discussion last week we had had asked him particularly to talk about his mother's dressing which has become the cooking and coping facebook page standard so much has been written so many questions asked Uh, yeah that's been a really fun experience Mm -hmm. so i started thinking a lot about that this week and pulling out his dressing and other dressing recipes. Um, I looked at the oyster dressing recipe he talked about on the radio last week from Garden and Gun. And the recipe was from Chef Edward Lee in Louisville. And Tim said it was really the best oyster dressing he had ever had. It was closest to the first one he ever experienced which was his Carrie's oyster dressing. So I pulled that out, looked at it, has chestnuts in it. Oh boy. Yeah, and, and you crisp the cornbread cubes. So that looked really interesting.
0: Well, you know, I heard them talking about uh, alternative uh, uh, dishes for folks with special eating requirements on the Splendid Table the other day, and they were talking about making a cornbread dressing for people who. Who are n- not bread eaters, and they were talking about cutting the cornbread into cubes and crisping it up, as opposed to just using okay. the whole cornbread as a as a pan. But anyway, Thanksgiving uh, is is fast approaching, and uh, it is time to begin, as you said to think about who's coming prepare your list according to bloomberg turkey costs are down that's good news uh, that this year you won't have to spend as much on your turkey perhaps as you did last year uh let's see let's see the fresh cranberries are down 20 percent while the canned variety are up 60 percent. now go
2: figure 60%. I, don't, I don't know i don't i don't
0: understand weird
2: could it be the cost of the can man? <laughs>
0: maybe the cost of the can has gone up
2: well you know uh going back to the countdown this since we're 17 days away now uh, you have to get your gear this is the time to go through your cabinets see what you need and order it and shop for the tools you don't have or upgrade the ones you have and i wanted to mention this because you know for 30 years i owned the Everyday Gourmet, which is still in business under the marvelous ownership of Marlena Walters. But I can just remember the Wednesday afternoons before Thanksgiving, people rushing wild eyed into the store looking uh, for a food processor blade, a uh, cooking thermometer, you know, those yeah. two things, and a lid. And a, and,
0: and a turkey pan.
2: Yes, and a lid for their. <laughs> Corningware dishes, which you know, which just don't exist anymore except in garage sales. Wow.
0: We've got one caller we want to take before we bring in Dr. Susan Buttress. Our buddy Chico Harris up in Oxford uh, is on the phone, and he always has interesting things to add. What's going on, Chico?
1: Good Mississippi morning to y'all. Um, I've got a programming suggestion for Deep South Dining. I'll be quick. Um, bring Felder on for a show.
0: Before, uh, for a Thanksgiving show about what we can grow, of course, maybe for next year, that goes along with Thanksgiving. Photo rushing is Elvis Presley of Mississippi Public <laughs> Radio. We all know that. And it's just the more you can get him on, the better. Yeah, we, we, we completely agree. We agree. agree.
2: Yes, we do.
0: We have had him on a few times. but A maybe, few times
2: this
1: year.
0: Yeah, so maybe we'll bring him in for uh, Thanksgiving uh, about things to plant in and around this time of year.
1: Well, you know, as far as having him on before, it's like women said about Elvis when he gained weight. Hey, that's the more the better. <laughs> yeah, the more the better.
0: <laughs> well, Chico, we appreciate you, man. You're we appreciate right. you dialing in and uh, listening to us each and every Monday morning. So, all right, uh, now for uh, some for some people, just a mention of the Thanksgiving countdown can give off a touch of anxiety also the pressure to have, you know, the very great showing or the perfect meal, or the perfect presentation for your guests, uh, it, it can really put a dull feeling on somewhat overwhelming uh, this time of year. So what we thought we'd do is revisit a conversation we had with the host of Southern Remedy, relatively speaking, Dr. Susan Buttress. And, and we had started off by asking her to talk about the natural anxiety that the holidays can bring.
1: Anxiety, any kind of anxiety, often um, is secondary to feeling unprepared mm. or perhaps um, approaching something that you're not sure about. So that planning ahead that you already mentioned, um, organize yourself, ask for help, um, don't look for perfection. Um, that's something that I think I have encountered in some of my family members, actually, as as we've talked about entertaining and um, taking care of the family, is that people get so anxious about the house looking perfect, about needing to perhaps paint a room before they can have a function even, or, you know, having the perfect dish. And so to quit thinking about perfection and make yourself think about what the purpose of this gathering is, It is not to be judged on your cooking, right? Right. It's to to gather. uh, To gather, hopefully, family and friends who love each other, even if they don't always think alike. And and I know, gosh, between all the political fray and um, we don't all, even if we came exactly from the same genetic pool, we don't all think alike. And so you just have to remember, it's okay. It's okay not to think alike. So to try to keep, and, and I I like reminding the guests before they come, um, conversation's going to be light. This is mm. going to be fun. Let's make a pact not to talk about anything too heavy. Let's just have fun and enjoy and, and find out what's been going on with each other.
0: Right. Catch up, okay. visit park yeah. the politics at the door. Uh, you and know. the
1: old
2: mistake State game.
0: There's that.
2: <laughs> <laughs> now,
0: Dr. Butters, I know right. there is this sort of phenomenon known as the holiday blues, and I've experienced this uh, firsthand mm-hmm. uh, and in and, and our family. But talk a little bit about that. I mean, some people uh, just during this time of year, they're bombarded with memories and maybe resentments and regrets i don't know exactly what it is how would you describe holiday blues and is it a real thing
1: oh it's absolutely a real thing and it's something that many people experience and don't understand it and sometimes it can ruin the holidays if you don't don't learn how to deal with it and so you you mentioned exactly what often goes on is that you have some regrets about perhaps what what maybe did or did not happen? Maybe a relationship. Maybe maybe an accomplishment that that didn't happen that you had hoped. Um, or it could be like my husband used to have just in extreme anxiety about the present buying and who to take care of and how to please everybody and what to do. And so um, to to learn learn about yourself. And make yourself, again, realize what all these holidays are about. And it's not outshining uh, someone in present buying. It's not, it has nothing to do with the amount of money that you spend, but more to do with the love that you feel. So, um, Malcolm, you brought something up that I think many people start, um, going back to the past or worrying about the future. And so I always like to bring up mindfulness. Um, and I know it's, it's thrown out there all the time, but, but making yourself being mindful means centering in the moment. Make yourself center to where you are in the here and now. And it, it helps you slow down, Stop those racing thoughts and and sort of let go of that negative stuff that tries to creep into your mind. And so, cooking is one of the best things. And if I ever feel stressed, one of the best things for me to do is is to to do a slow pot of something. Start chopping. Yeah, it just makes such
0: a big difference. I feel yeah. good just hearing you talk about it. Me
2: too. It. <laughs> For me, it's it's rolling out pie crust.
0: Uh, and you uh-huh, know what I like to go. do? Dr. Buttress, when I'm feeling a little wonky, I like to put a couple of sweet potatoes in the oven and just turn them on. Not that it's particularly mm-hmm. about the meal, but just because of of the mood it sets in the kitchen and the home. Mm-hmm.
1: The warmth and the aroma. So, you know, the other fabulous thing about cooking is that it involves both the left brain and the right brain. So the left brain is that analytical measuring, um, cutting things, you know, in the right um, shape or whatever, Um, maybe Carol rolling that that pasta out um, just the way you want it, getting it to the exact right thickness. but then on the other side, that right creative brain allows that cook who is not a big measurer or somebody to, to add a little of this and a little of that and, and to enjoy the incredible aromas that are going on and, and all of that. So, so what happens is you're just involving your whole brain so you can be mindful in that moment and not have to be letting your brain take you away to maybe that <laughs> that lost um, relative who Yeah, the person is who's not
2: sitting at the table.
0: Said,
1: yep.
2: Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's great
0: advice. Yeah, that's that's terrific. And another thing about by the time we get as close as we are to Thanksgiving and then followed by Christmas is that there's an awful lot of sweet foods that, that seem to gather in the kitchen mm. from Halloween and then Thanksgiving. And then by the time we get to Christmas, we are so high on sugar, we don't know what day of the week it is. And so um, one thing, it's, I guess, is not to overindulge uh, in the sweets, and somehow it would seem to me that that would be a trigger of a form of, of stress.
1: It certainly can be. Um, the problem with high sugar containing foods or high simple carbohydrates like uh, a ton of um, simple white bread or something like that is that it it drives your blood sugar up and then it but it doesn't last long like complex carbs or vegetables or or protein-based foods and so you you get this literally a sugar high and then you'll get the bottom that drops out, and you might be shaky and feel more anxious. And often that's just secondary to not eating the right way. And so to make sure that you know a little bit is okay, um, and and something I've always loved in in some some different ethnic groups is people don't limit what they eat; but they limit the amount. That they eat and yeah. and if we could only remember that, I sometimes think that um, our land of plenty uh, lets us forget that that. A whole lot. It's the same thing in medicine. A little bit of medicine might be good, a whole lot might be bad. Same thing with some food. You know, I I attended
2: a Pentecostal celebration a few years ago at a church in Columbia that has this huge food feast. There were dishes, I mean, hundreds of dishes, and they all had an iced teaspoon. In each one, so people went around with their plate, and you got—I mean, you could get one or two spoonfuls, mm-hmm. but it was such a revelation to me that a little bit of a lot, you know, right. to have a lot of different taste, you know, that you don't have to just load up your plate with a huge servings right. of everything, and, and that there, there's there's more. There's joy in moderation. There's joy in moderation. (laughs) moderation. Yeah, and this this is a topic that's since we're I think we're getting real honest here. I think you know alcoholic beverages around the holidays are it's so problematic, and a lot of people don't know what to do when they have people in their family who you know who who don't drink for whatever reason or who have had problems with alcohol, you don't know whether to serve it or to not serve it, or if you're serving wine at the table, do you just not give that person a glass or do you, you know, put the glass at the table and let the person decide? Um, Yeah, there are just a lot of things I think people would like to know about how to deal with that.
1: Right. Any comments, Mal
2: or Susan?
1: Yes. I, I will say that um, from it depends on the person and where they are in their recovery with um, particularly alcoholism um, when you're when you're serving. First of all, I'll just say typically it's best to limit the amount of alcohol that's served anyway. I think. Many people, even if they don't have a significant issue, there are some people out there who, when they drink a little too much, um, either become maudlin and sad or angry. Uh, that's not across the board, but um, moderation here is is really, really important. For somebody who is is in recovery... I think it's really important to be sensitive, and a sidebar conversation with them about what they're comfortable with um, sometimes is a good thing. Just to to let them sort of set the stage for you. Um, I, I would probably, um, yes, set the table with the glass there and let them not pour, or to have some. Sparkling something for them, if if they would like for it not to be an obvious thing. You know, you can have sparkling grape juice or whatever, or Sprite, uh, sparkling water, um, or not serve it, depending on where you feel you need to be with them. Um, so I think just to be be sensitive, uh, but not to make a big deal about it, because nobody wants to have have an issue that they've struggled
0: with highlights. A bit of holidays in there from Dr. Susan Buttress from um, a conversation we had uh, in a 2021 episode which is available as a podcast like all of our episodes are and later in that particular show we talked about the debate around putting sugar in your cornbread so you definitely want to go back and listen to that. So subscribe wherever you get your podcast and you can listen to Deep South Dining, anytime, anywhere. Live on Monday mornings at 9 a.m. We're also rebroadcast on Sunday mornings at 9 a.m. Carol?
2: We're everywhere. We are. And uh, from what I hear, the Sunday morning show is really going great.
0: Yeah. And we appreciate the opportunities to be in your home, in your car, in your life, when and wherever we can. You know, um, these uh, There were a few headlines that we want to touch on. One of them, we'll talk about oyster dressing, but uh, you sent me an article uh, about a spinach dish that uh, uh, Chaz Lindsay over at Polito had, and I think it was featured in Gardening and Gun. Is that right?
2: Yeah, I, I sent it. I was first of all thrilled that, that Chaz, who is one of our Jackson restaurant owners, owner of the fabulous restaurant Polito, was featured in the magazine. And he used his mom's recipe for spinach casserole for Thanksgiving. And I thought that was a great shout-out to his mother, Virgie Lindsay, who is a wonderful citizen of our community and serves as a member of our city council. But I loved it that instead of Chaz putting something of his own, mm. that uh, it, was a, it was a throwback to his mom.
0: Absolutely. And, you know, spinach and spinach dishes or. Sort of uh, interesting uh, in that, you know, growing up, you only saw spinach like one way, and that was like Popeye the Sailor Man. It came in a can, and it was awful.
2: Oh, it's just nasty. It's so scary.
0: And even looking back at old recipes uh, like Lefcadio Hearns, I may have mispronounced his first name, but uh, the great journalist uh, and explorer who wrote one of the earliest New Orleans cookbooks back in the 1880s. His cho- his spinach dish is, you know, boiling the spinach, chopping it finely, and topping it. Of course, using garlic, salt, pepper, and butter, but then topping it with boiled eggs. Which <laughs> that, that's why I didn't like spinach for all those years. But now I love it.
2: I know, I know, it's a regular on your table. But uh, I was really interesting, it, interested in Chaz Lindsay's recipe because it's very like spinach madeleine which is a staple on Thanksgiving tables throughout the South. Absolutely. And the reason why is because it was featured in one of the very first community cookbooks, which is River Road Recipes by the Junior League of Baton Rouge.
0: Baton Rouge, the red stick.
2: The red stick, and it was like one of the breakout recipes back, back in the 50s. And River Road has sold over 1.4 million. Million copies.
0: That's a uh, pretty good sales. And for it's in the 81st printing. 81st? 81st, wow.
2: 81st printing. So I would say that it stands the test of time, but I wanted to bring up Spinach Madeline because it's one of the questions that comes up this time of year because the original Spinach Madeline recipe call for a roll. Remember those little rolls of Kraft
0: garlic cheese? Oh, absolutely.
2: Yeah. They
0: are no They're more. no mas.
2: And that's one of the things that people go searching in the grocery stores for Frantic. every year. no nomas, no-mas, no, mas, no mas. Huh. So, uh, the Junior League of Baton Rouge offered a substitution, and if you, you know, go online or look up things, uh, they now recommend the Velveeta Mexican cheese.
0: Okay. And that's available?
2: And that's available in the box wherever Velveeta products are (laughs) sold in your store. But it it does, it has, you know, it has that same uh, sharp, spicy flavor. bite. So please do not go rushing through the grocery store. Don't cause yourself extra stress. You don't want to have to go to therapy just by... Like I do, the Velveeta Mexican cheese, and I'm going to make my spinach madeleine this week. Now it to, holds, it freezes, it, it's beautiful.
0: Share the ingredients of the of the madeleine. I know there's garlic and butter and cheese. What else is in the spinach madeleine?
2: Well, it it's you start with, um, well, flour, onion. So you
0: thicken, you make a.
2: You make, yeah. A white sauce. white sauce. uh, Evaporated milk, Mm -hmm. the spinach liquor from squeezing the spinach.
0: Right. I love to drink that after I eat my spinach. Of course you do. I love it. It's that last little bit of the meal. I drink the spinach liquor. And I put a splash of vinegar in mine. Malcolm. I know, but anyway. Never heard of this. I put all the spinach in there with the oil garlic salt pepper and I splash a little bit of like apple vinegar or some kind of a wine vinegar just on top and and, and then after it cooks down you got that pot liquor and I just drink it like it's a a liqueur anyway
2: I'm fascinated (laughs) so back the spinach (laughs) madeline after the malcolm white (laughs) reserved spinach liqueur uh liquor and i I wanted to just stop here for a moment and talk about frozen spinach and it is just full of water and when you drain the water off you have barely gotten to the water in the spinach and the best thing to do with very clean hands is to Put the spinach in your hands, make a ball, mm-hmm. and press. Squeeze, squeeze. Mm-hmm. Then do it again. Squeeze and do again. it again mm-hmm. to get your spinach so your your product is not too liquidy. And of course, so you use this is, frozen spinach for this. I, I use frozen okay. spinach, and and then back again to the fifties and sixties. There is celery salt and garlic salt. Mm. Now, Chaz Lindsay's recipe also uses frozen spinach. But with 24 ounces of cream cheese, which is, that's a lot of cream cheese. I can just see, you know, Virgie Lindsay's putting a lot of cream cheese on her Thanksgiving table. It sounds delicious. And nine tablespoons of mayonnaise.
0: Nine tablespoons of
2: mayo. And... There's much Parmesan cheese on the top and knowing the Lindsay family, I'm thinking that is some pretty fine Parmesan cheese yes. that Chaz has ordered for his mom directly from Italy.
0: Directly. With good olive oil.
2: With good olive oil.
0: So in the end, what percentage of this dish is still spinach, you figure?
2: Like, oh, it's heavy. Heavy spinach. It's heavy heavy okay. spinach. Heavy so all spinach. this other
0: stuff is just like a third. The cheeses uh, and the... Yeah,
2: and it's it's not super super mm-hmm. liquidy. Oh, cool. But delish. Spinach Madeline, folks.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. Now, Carol, you and I, we can't talk about Thanksgiving or Christmas meals or any kind of holiday gathering without talking about oyster dressing. It's just, it's a theme with us. I
2: know, and we started in the first segment, but we just didn't get enough.
0: No, we can never get enough.
2: Well, because you sent me to the cookbooks this week from a comment that you made last week on the radio show when we were talking about dressing and you were saying that many of the louisiana and southern dressings are more like a stuffing because they don't use cornbread they use bread
0: mm-hmm. well I, I and i said i that i make a hybrid of cornbread of course. and but either way yes
2: yeah so anyway i went i went you know and 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 looked around a little bit and i found you know emerald does a dressing that looks wonderful i think i put it put it in in front of you I don't know yeah you know, where his is his his uh his does not have pork in it now here it is you have it it. i have the one out of uh, louisiana Louisiana entertains another great great old this uh, is
0: the eggplant oyster dressing
2: yes which i loved i actually used to make this a long time ago and i'm so glad you got me thinking about it again emeralds has eggplant in it too but it does not have meat Uh, the one that i have in front of you has has pork and i wanted you to comment about that
0: Yes, I, I like to, to cut up sausage uh, in my dressing along with any sort of seasoned or smoked pork meat for flavor. Now, having said just that, just now, my wife does not care for the smoky flavor of sausages or any kind of smoked meats in her dishes. She's not a big fan. So, I often... If I think she's going to eat it. Now, I'll also say she's not a big fan of oyster dressing, so I can kind of go wild on the oyster dressing and not worry about her. (laughs) But if I think she's going to partake, I often will eliminate the smoked meat. Her father, on the other hand, is an aficionado of smoked meat. It's so funny. Like her dad loves barbecue grilling, smoking sausages, you know, hams, loves it. Kara, not so much.
2: So it was not a genetic thing. She fell no. on the Armenian side That's right. of the family. That's right, the
0: Mediterranean diet.
2: Okay, but back, back to the pork. The recipe in Garden and Gun from Chef Edward Lee, who is in Louisville, Kentucky, has country ham in it. And he says, the saltier, the better. There you go. So I'm thinking that...
0: You will that also kind of find sounds, that.
2: Yes, and I'm hoping that you have some in your freezer.
0: You will also find that recipe in the Chesapeake Bay, northern neck of Virginia and Maryland cookbooks, where they use the oysters from the Chesapeake and the country ham, the cured country ham, as their salt meat.
2: Fantastic. I'm hoping, and I'm asking again, do you have any Virginia country ham <laughs> in your freezer? I'm
0: going to have to do an inventory. <laughs> okay. As you know, 17 days out, I've, I I I've know, got a few I days. i got to go look. I try to save a chunk of. Uh of of virginia country ham here and there uh so i'll see and if i do i'll share
2: and i want your listeners to know that you and kara gave me a virginia country ham for a wedding present what a lovely wedding present unorthodox
0: but uh
2: well you you know. know hey because kara is from northern virginia
0: correct now, let's see. Um, there are a couple of uh, restaurant tidbits. Uh, Eudora's will be opening soon, if it isn't already open. in November the dist-
2: 15th. Okay. November 15th, opening day. In
0: the district here in Jackson, uh, it is set to open, and I, I don't know a lot about it, but somehow you, you're, I think you're headed to the grand opening or the soft opening. Well, I'm,
2: I'm just hoping that we we can all get in early. Uh, Early, whether it's soft, soft or hard, it just—it sounds like it's going to be a fantastic restaurant. But one of the things that really interests me is they are the first restaurant in Mississippi to be a part of the program, the Living Wage
0: mm-hmm. Program. Explain that further. They list.
2: had over two thousand applicants for their restaurant jobs because they—they they have signed on to a project that pays. Restaurant workers, I believe it's $16.25 an hour.
0: Right, which is a a really nice paycheck for the service industry.
2: Yeah, yes it is because service industry people, especially waiters, are very low paid. They typically make
0: half of minimum wage and then all of their tips. Right. And people can argue one way or the other. It's not Something that you and I want to get into this morning, but that has sort of been the industry norm for a very long time. Right or wrong, it is, and now uh, comes this—you know—this more contemporary thought about paying um, a higher wage for all employees, not just tipped ones. Correct?
2: Yeah, and and I think it's going to be great to get uh, the new owners and chefs in here to talk about that. Really excited yes. about door opening.
0: Now speaking of uh, New Orleans, uh, Emerald, his sort of landmark restaurant, Emeril's in New Orleans, has recently been reopened, remodeled, and his son EJ <laughs> is taking it over. You know, you probably know this kid. Well, right?
2: I, I, you know, I knew when he was a baby. I didn't realize you know, EJ is now a fully formed person who has gone to culinary school and is just setting things on fire down in New Orleans. His so, baby Bam.
0: So it's going to be interesting. The next generation of emeralds, uh, but it is reopened. Uh, I think it's on Chapatula Street. I'm not quite sure.
2: Yeah. Well, it, it's 33 years old. Yeah. Can you believe that?
0: Not really. But when I think about Howell and House being 37, 38 years, yeah, kind of, I can, kinda, I can feel it.
2: Yeah, <laughs> it's pretty crazy. But they did a total, you know, total remodel. They closed down, I believe, in July. So that's going to be an exciting thing for. For our listeners to go check out.
0: And, you know, also speaking of 30 years and speaking of New Orleans, the Gautreaux, uh has been sold and has new owners and uh, is also being remodeled and will be reopened soon. And I believe that's where John Currents worked when in his New Orleans he days.
2: He did. There, and there have been some great chefs there. The last one that I really experienced was uh, Sue Zamanik, who was a James Beard Award winner. You know, you had a really interesting thing that came with St. John's Restaurant in New Orleans.
0: Yes. I sent you that also. Yes. They, they had gotten an a, a bill for electricity from Entergy that was like $40,000 or something. It was crazy.
2: Yeah, and the restaurant said it was for a ghost meter. They said meter they that-
0: didn't even know about the meter. They'd never seen it before, and suddenly— it appears sort of like the Jackson water billing system. <laughs> so, I mean, they were outraged and they said they were going to close. They announced that they were closing. They were going out of business after all these years. St. John's on uh, Decatur, I believe.
2: Yeah. They said they were permanently, closing. permanently
0: closing. And then today in the news I, I shared with you, uh, they've worked something out with Intergy and they're not going to close and they're going to remain open.
2: Yeah, and, and it really made me happy because I know that the good folks at Energy in New Orleans would hate to see a restaurant like that close. So oh, I, yeah. I was very happy to see that.
0: Right on. So, um, now did you bring in some other recipes that, that we were going to share this morning, or is that it for our
2: well that was that was it for my stuff. Thanksgiving recipes? But see, I printed these out for my own cooking, and I did mm-hmm. print out. I have to say the old sweet potato casserole recipe from the Junior League of Monroe. Oh, boy, that's a And it's something we talk about every year. And Cotton Country Collection from the Junior League uh, of, of Monroe was published more than 50 years ago, mm. maybe 55 years ago. But one of the banner recipes from that is a sweet potato casserole that has the name of Mrs. C.D. Hamaker for Louisiana. and this yes. recipe has gone around the world and, and back. And we both knew well her grandson, Brooke, Brooks. who Hammaker. is sadly, sadly no longer with us.
0: But what a fabulous human being he was. And uh, he was a great brewmeister, uh, a culinarian and uh, a historian and a bon vivant and a fascinating human being brilliant. Uh, and and greatly missed.
2: And greatly missed. And we did not know until a few years ago that this recipe, which has been around the world and back, was his, was his grandmother's. Right. So we talked about it on the radio. And uh, his former wife had your phone number and right. called you and told the story behind the story. That's
0: right. And, uh, and that if you Mrs.
2: Hamaker couldn't cook a lick <laughs> could not cook a lick and uh her daughter brooks's mother was working on this cookbook and had so many recipes under her own name that they just put mrs Hammaker's name on this particular recipe and she will go down in history amazing amazing and, and this is
0: the probably recipe. never made it
2: very, it's very simple, very simple. Three cups of sweet potatoes, you have your half cup sugar and butter, two beaten eggs, vanilla, and a third a cup of milk. I mean, that's pretty standard. That mm-hmm. makes your base. And it's the beautiful brown sugar pecan topping that ah. makes this one so beloved. And it's you know, melted butter with a cup of brown sugar and flour and pecans. And so there you have it it's easy off. but yeah. classic i mean some people like their marshmallows some people like their brown sugar
0: pecan right i'm, I'm a pecan guy so i was on an email uh chain, <clears throat> chain over the weekend with some friends of mine that included rod cawthon who you remember from the Claring ledger days great writer. now lives in athens georgia and he he and a bunch of his friends have these email chains and this one was about a recipe that they had seen in the New York Times for lemony shrimp. Uh, I think it was a soup of some sort. No, no, it was lemony shrimp. It was a sauteed dish. So somehow I just got included and I was reading along. But in there, uh, a couple of people talked about how they treated their garlic I
2: treat mine well. How (laughs) do you treat (laughs) yours?
0: Well, you know, some people use whole garlic, garlic cloves, hammer them, smash them, Uh chop them finely. Some people use jar garlic. (gasps) Shocking! Shocking! But in this email chain, there was a discussion about grating the garlic on a cheese grater, a box grater, which I have never done, but I thought. As I was reading this, what a great way to distribute the garlic and the flavor, and get all of the juice out of the garlic. I know they make garlic presses, which are very popular. Have you ever grated your garlic?
2: My knuckles would not allow that. I am not coordinated enough to grate garlic on a box on a box grater. Have you
0: ever seen anybody do it? No. Okay, I had not. I'm, I'm a
2: smasher. I'm a smasher chopper.
0: Smasher chopper. Some people are, use the press. I'm going to start trying the grating.
2: Okay, well I really want you to report this is highly interesting and highly entertaining.
0: Yes. And I think I think I'll be pleased with the results if I don't scratch my knuckles. Well, you know, we could do
2: a whole show on preparation of garlic. How people get the peel off of, you know, how they actually grate the garlic, you know, how they use garlic juice. Is what there kind any- of garlic <laughs>
0: Is there anything more frustrating when you're preparing garlic and that skin just will not go away? You get it on your – it won't come off your fingers. It's <laughs> sticky. It gets on the chopping block, chopping board. You try to get it off there. It gets on the counter. And, I, and then it flies also. It flies all Between over the Between the chopping block and the garbage can, the stuff flies. And now it's on well, the see, floor.
2: that's why I'm a smasher because I take a, a – cutting board, and I put my garlic clove, and I take the flat blade of an 8-inch chef's knife and smash. Yes. And so the peel peel comes off. But then there's those <laughs> little rubber tu- tubes yes. that you can put it in, and you can roll <laughs> roll it. And then there's the method where you put, it, put the garlic in a uh, stainless steel pan, put another stainless steel pan over it, and shake it over your head <laughs> until the... Until the, the peel comes
0: off. Kevin, uh, Kevin is handling our show, producing our show today. Do you have thoughts on this this garlic uh, snafu that we're talking about in here? I, I, I'm with you with the, the the light skin there flying all over the kitchen, and you're right. It seems like the more you try to get rid of it, the more it sticks to whatever it is you're trying to get it off of. But I'm a big fan of the garlic press. You like the press? hmm mm-hmm. Well, I, I do like the press, uh, and I love the smash and chop, but uh, I'm going to try this this grating. Carol?
2: Okay. Well, go for a self-cleaning garlic press if you do. It's a relatively new invention in the past 15 years hmm. that actually pushes the peel back out of the press, because try to get garlic peel out of the bottom of the garlic press.
0: Impossible.
2: Impossible. Yeah.
0: It, once it's there, it's, it's embedded <laughs> All right, folks. Deep South Dining is a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting's Think Radio. We are funded by the generous contributions from listeners like yourself, and we thank you. Our show today was produced by Kevin Farrell. And for my co-host, Carol Palmer, I'm Malcolm White, and we ask that you stay tuned now for Marshall Ramsey's program, Now You're Talking, followed immediately by Southern Remedy. And we ask that you join us next Monday morning right here on Deep South Dining, heard exclusively on MPB Think Radio, 9 a.m. on Sundays, 9 a.m. on Mondays, podcast anytime. Thank you. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand.